Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Hard to believe today is the first full week of 2021, and I hope for all of you it's uh, gotten off to a good start. Uh, Well, here we are once again talking about Wedding of the Waters, the Erie Canal, and the Making of a Great Nation by Peter L. Bernstein. Uh, This episode we're going to be discussing has to do with the history behind uh, locks, or not just let alone locks, but how at one time locks were referred to as dams, but how um, locks themselves would help um, enable uh, boats and ships to move better when it uh, around canals, but also man's um, achievements in the early years um, and how man um, moved, basically moved on up going by uh, walking to uh, the wheel and then to by water. Now, I know I might be giving some of this away, but I figured that if I tell you all this now, we've got a a better understanding of how we're going to get to um, that part of a canal. Because, you know, building a canal isn't something that just happened overnight. But what I do find worth uh, sharing is how long ago man first went about instituting um, the practice. So our lead-off bonus question is the following. Has transportation itself been considered a major challenge throughout most of human history? The answer is yes. In the early beginnings of human civilization, man was accustomed to using his two legs in getting around from point A to point B. All right, so think about it, folks. You know, you know we still, for the most part, do get around. I mean, we have a variety of ways of getting around. But one of those ways is getting around from point A to point B using our legs. But in early civilization time, that was the only way man could get around, whether, regardless of whether it was um, journeying uh, to visit someone or let alone to hunt. After all, man at one time was considered to be a paleo hunter, or that is uh, one who engaged in hunter-gather type uh, situations where man would hunt something and then he would gather the essential necessities to go about um, to go about um, cooking the um, the game that he hunted, so that he could not only provide for himself but perhaps for those um, followers or family. So once um, man had conquered <laughs> moving around from point A to point B by legs, it was then on to the wheel, which enabled man to move by land and then eventually to sailing by ships that would transport him by sea. Now, while each advancement made a significant achievement in progress, there still remained setbacks. Well, what kind of setbacks? Well, if you're traveling by road, roads do present their challenges. Roads are uneven. They can be muddy, rocky, to where... The terrain becomes so hard to navigate that your um, vehicle for that day and time, being a uh, horse-drawn cart or an ox-drawn cart, would either um, break apart or one of the wheels would come off to where you would be left stranded. And um, another disadvantage might be also by road is that um, some people have horses, other people don't. Why don't Why don't... Um, many people have horses. Well, I think it's fair to say that um, only a certain group of people 
had access to horses and those who were wealthy or well-to-do. Even in colonial Williamsburg times, uh, people there say that if somebody stole another man's horse, that person had stolen um, that other man's livelihood. Not everyone has access to a horse, so if you have a horse, yeah, you were definitely being able to get around easily from point A to point B. Now, as for um, the water, you know, boats were used mostly for transporting grain and timber, but they were confined to rivers and ocean ports where humans, along with cargo, arrived at the sea from inland waterways. So, you know, not everyone has access to a boat. Remember, folks, boats at this time are not used for recreational purposes. They are used for for business purposes, but only for those who have the, the primary means for needing boats to transport their goods from point A to point B along the rivers and oceans. And if you live on a, around a port city, then you are definitely at a, at a far more advantage compared to someone who lives further inland. So the bigger question now lies in, over how to get water inland so that we don't have to constantly be relying on the um, seaboard, or let alone just that port city. So, here's something we need to think about, too. There is one unique advantage that man has by road versus by water. Man can travel in both directions by road. Still can the same today, but in early ancient civilization times, Man has a big uh, hurdle when it comes to um, water via river as well as ocean. Water flows, or let alone moves, in only one direction. The movement downstream can pose can be less of an issue, whereas upstream, going against the current, and if it involves transporting heavy sums of cargo, that proves to be a very daunting challenge. So our first, our uh, lead-off, or not lead-off, but another big bonus question is the following. What did man achieve 4,000 years ago that was the first big step in the right direction and moving on up? Humans started learning how to construct man-made waterways, which came to be known as canals, being the Latin word for canalis, meaning pipe or channel. Canals would change how people chose to live along with how their goods got transported. I would definitely agree 100% that canals are going to definitely change how people choose to live along with getting their goods transported because they're going to find that uh, they may not always have to rely on the oceans um, to get goods from point A to point B across the Atlantic or let alone the Atlantic Ocean, say, to the Mediterranean Sea. In other words, think of a canal as like a, um, not just so much an alternative uh, route, but another, um, but more of like a secondary route that, say, that, for example, might cut out um, major backup traffic. Like, for example, there's a um, U.S. route not far from where I live called U.S. 301, uh, not to get off track, but for many years before Interstate 95 was built, U.S. 301 was the main artery highway 
to go north, say from Richmond all the way to you know Washington D.C. or uh, Baltimore, Maryland, while 301 is still in use today, um, if you are looking for um, for a better option in terms of cutting out um, traffic congestion, especially in Northern Virginia, go 301. Um, you will definitely um, probably save more time. But back to what we're uh, discussing. What's the main purpose of a canal? Well, the main purpose is to hold water in a ditch where there's motionless movement, which enables boats to navigate smoothly regardless of direction, but but there are still hurdles. How so? Well, think of hills and valleys. Think about the steep inclines. Steep inclines that... Um, that go against the currents. So this is a big, um, big uh, problem that engineers have to um, face. They have to realize, okay, yes, we might have motionless water on this canal, but what about higher elevations? How are those boats and ships going to be able to handle the higher elevation terrain when they're going upstream? So Later on here, we're going to talk about those uh, challenges and how um, engineers from um, from early civilizations up to uh, the 17th and 18th century in European countries, how they were able to um, approach those matters to where um, progress was uh, made. So to modify the issues regarding hills and valleys... A system known as locks would get put into play. Now, I'm not talking locksmiths. <laughs> I'm talking about locks that actually uh, help um, allow boats to move from lower elevations to higher elevation. Were locks first instituted? during a time of ancient civilizations. Yes, but in early times, they were referred to as dams. A boat going downstream, or let alone in a downstream direction, the gate in the dam got raised, and once the boat made it through the dam, the force of water from behind... The, for, the force of water was from behind to where the movement was fast, and this type of lock became known as a flash lock. In other words, it was it was instant. It was uh, once you sailed past it going downstream, you were moving very quickly, but going in the opposite direction, and rather uphill, I should say, this would be a bigger challenge. How so? Well, it required teams of men, or let alone even in some cases animals, being horse and ox, to pull the boats forward against the current. And this practice was in place worldwide until about 1000 AD. Now, during the 12th century BC, BC being before Christ, ancient Egyptians built a canal linking the Nile River to the Red Sea. There, the canal was built over flat and sandy territory. 
what did the Romans achieve in the first century BC? They built a 15 mile canal linking the Pontine Marshes to the Appian Way, carrying passengers when roads were no longer navigable. And when I think of the Romans, I often think of, you know, um, the Roman Empire, of course, the, uh, the Colosseum. But what we must remember is that uh, the Romans were very, very smart in terms of engineering. And the fact that they were smart enough to figure out that, hey, if the roads aren't safe in terms of uh, being able to navigate through why not have something else that's um, a safer alternative option? And that's a good, and, that, and the best option is to have a canal. Think about it. People need to move from point A to point B, but it's probably fair to say that those who are able to move from point A to point B are people, well, they could probably could have come from all ranks of Roman society, but I think it's fair to say that those in the upper tier of society would have been the ones that would have had more reasons to, to uh, be navigating around from point A to point B, especially those who are in uh, high-level uh, political offices. But I also have to be reminded with the ancient Egyptians that they did more than just build the, um, the great sphinx or the, uh, the, the great pyramids. Uh, they were uh, also known for their um, hieroglyphics, their um, early... Um, writings which were a cuneiform a clay tablet but the fact that they were um, very smart in building canals especially a canal that linked the Nile River to the Red Sea that was a huge step so um, the ancient civilization people uh, really knew how to uh, be one step ahead for their time alright um uh, what do locks do? Uh, I mean, what is their uh, purpose in the sense of, um, of helping um, out boats and ships? Well, locks help raise and lower boats, along with other watercraft between different levels on the river and canal waterways. This enables navigation on the river to be more doable to crossing land that's not level. You know, we're always led to believe that um, that crossing by land is, is easy. It's smooth terrain. Well, it's not. Um, um, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it's not. But it's just one of those things we have to be reminded of. But then again, of course, navigating by river or even a canal waterway has its own challenges as well. But we must remember that roads themselves don't have any locks. <laughs> um where, whereas a river and a canal waterway, not all rivers, but in this case, uh, canal waterways have locks. Now, um, here's a good bonus question for you all, and I'm sure many of you all are wondering, how in the world would a European artist from the Renaissance era have anything to do with um, engineering or let alone canals and locks? So what famous European artist had a fascination with water movement? That was Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci himself designed the most basic lock, being one comprised of gates moving both upstream and downstream. Now, 
I should say this, when I think of Leonardo da Vinci, I always think of his uh, paintings with the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper. But what people forget is that da Vinci himself had a real fascination with, um, with drawings that ranged from drawing the equivalent to a modern-day hot air balloon, um, a modern-day helicopter. He even was fascinated with human anatomy. He even drew uh, sketches of the body inside and out. He even um, drew um, locks, as I mentioned. You know, he he was smart enough to know um, the terrain from where he lived, but he obviously had a, a very brilliant mind that allowed him to do so many other things. And in this case, being able to design the most basic lock that would be comprised of gates boat going in a boat in both an upstream and downstream direction. So how did these gates get placed? Well, they were placed into a V position, which kept, which kept the gate closed tight to where water can't seep into or exit from the chambers. Da Vinci's gates swung open and closed. So think of um, this lock as kind of like a um, like a vault. You know, except, you know, vaults have their own security codes for unlocking and locking. But it's safe to say that even the um, the V-gate for its time was like, it had its own um, code system for being able to, um, to uh, what do you call it, to, un to um, open and close, if that's the right way to, um, to describe it. But nonetheless, it was a very unique... Um, invention for its time. For hills that are long and steep, what kind of a sequence do you think would um, come into play? A sequence that became known as a stairway. A stairway of locks or let alone a flight. Now when I think of a flight, I often think of airplanes uh, flying, you know, an airplane flying out of one airport and going to another. But a flight in this situation is, um, is where locks are changing elevation. They function as an elevator transporting boats up and downhill. You know, for example, have you ever... You know, another way that I think of the term flight, like my wife and I have gone to breweries from time to time, and they'll give us a flight of beers to sample. The flight meaning, say... The light, the lightweight beer at the beginning, meaning the one that's not uh, bitter or heavy, to the one at the very end that is the heaviest. So in other words, you're starting from light to, in, in the case with the beer, from light to dark, but you're going from lightweight tasting to heavy. So in this case with the locks, from a uh, navigable um, interpretation, you're starting out at lower level body water, but as you're making your way further up the river or further up a canal, lock elevation is going to be higher. So uh, we will talk more about flight, and um, let alone the flight of um, locks in other podcast sessions, but it is worth mentioning how, uh, especially in the case for hills that are long and steep, that the sequence itself leads to that stairway of locks known as flight, especially as they are changing elevation. 
Well, think about this. When an airplane's in motion in the air, it changes elevation. Of course, not all airplanes are 747s, but when an airplane gradually takes off, it's not shooting up into the air like a rocket. But it is in flight, meaning that it's um, changing elevation as it's gradually descending its way high up into the air. Here's another bonus question, and this is a very good one, European history. We go now into the late 17th century. Which European nation constructed a canal that became an engineering marvel for its time? France. From 1666 to 1681, the Canal du Midi, and I'll have to admit I'm not fluent in French, but that's uh, how I'm going to um, interpret the, the name of the canal. It was constructed under the leadership of Baron Pierre Paul de Riquet de Bonrepo, who made a fortune as a tax collector under Louis XIV. When I think of tax collectors, I often think of, um, of the time when Jesus was alive. And I say that because so many people frowned upon the tax collectors. They saw tax collectors as people who were greedy, who took other people's money, and pretty much kept it to themselves. But I would say in the case for Baron Pierre Paul de Riquet de Bonrepo, being a tax collector to any king, especially Louis XIV, does have its major advantages because this fella was a huge um, leader as well as financier to this um, canal. And if it weren't for him, this canal itself would not have been built. And what made the Canal du Midi unique for its time? Well, there are many answers, and I'll give you some of them here. A water route across uh, southern France from the Atlantic Ocean to the Mediterranean Sea enabled ships to have safer route passages, which meant cutting out Atlantic Ocean voyages around Spain along with the Straits of Gibraltar. So, hey, it, prior to this canal being built, obviously um, the route uh, passages around the Atlantic Ocean to the Straits of Gibraltar were very uh, uncertain and perhaps dangerous to where many um, uh, ships were lost at sea, including loss of life. So perhaps having this canal put into play reduced, um, the, reduced the overall potential loss of life. The canal itself served as an asset to southwestern France. And southwestern France is home of the Languedoc region, also as well as a region known as Bordeaux, which, uh, produce, which is a strong, um, rich producing wine region. Uh, but then again, uh, southwestern France is a very, very strong uh, wine producing region. As for the Languedoc region, it was known for uh, corn, fruit, olives, mulberries, and berries. So the canal itself around Bordeaux allowed ships to sail eastward smoothly for 150 miles, and the canal itself had an altitude of 620 feet above sea level. That's pretty amazing. And when I think of altitude, I often think of you know airplanes flying in the air, but we do forget that even canals have altitudes. When you consider that you know they start out going at a lower elevation downstream, and as you go upward against the current, 
then the altitude changes as well as the height of as well as the height and the width or not just that width but as well as the um, the depth of the locks as well now the longest section of this uh, canal was comprised of an artificial waterway and uh, we'll be talking about artificial water here in a moment because it does serve it will be serving um, for um, vital purposes. True or false, do artificial waterways require continuous water supply in regards to their total length even if a canal itself is more than 400 feet above sea level? Uh, the answer is true. Now I have to remember I'm not an engineer but it is important to know that um, if you are going to construct a canal that in order for there to be artificial waterways that they are going to need to require a continuous flow of water especially if it's more than 400 feet above sea level now which European nation is going to be the first to solve the issue with regards to building an artificial reservoir for canals well it's the French their project had water coming from mountain streams where it got held in place by an enormous sized dam of 2300 feet long well you know water has to make its way somewhere it's got to start somewhere and it's got to end somewhere but to be able to have this project start from a mountain stream and work its way down to this um, massive dam that's 20, 2,300 feet long, that is a brilliant work of ingenuity onto itself. And true or false, would the men whom designed the Erie Canal look to the Canal du Medai for engineering design purposes? Yes especially with regards to designing waterways that would be dependent upon artificial water. And as I said earlier, folks, artificial water is motionless. You know, it's one thing to have water going in different directions, but if, you, but if you're going to um, have success and ensure that boats can move freely, not just freely, but safely, not just in a downward direction, but going upstream against the current, you've got to ha find every possible solution there is to ensure that passage is uh, safe. Did England, um, you know, what about England? You know, England's a, a power. Um, think about it. Um, you know, during that time between 1666 and 1681, the French are building the Canal du Medai, but is it safe to say even by mid to late 17th century, England has established herself as a as a, a perennial power in the world? Absolutely. You know, when I think of the English um, establishing power in the world, I think of uh, the year 1588 when uh, the British defeat the Spanish Armada, and that's when uh, Queen Elizabeth I is still um, in uh, ruling um, England. But after the Spanish, after defeating the Spanish Armada, when I think of English dominance, I think of the English coming to the New World, especially in 1607 when they established their first permanent settlement in a place known as Jamestown, Virginia, which isn't uh, too terribly far from where I live. And then, of course, um, England would establish um, other colonies up and down the eastern seaboard to where she would have uh, 13 um, colonies.
But did England's Industrial Revolution play a vital role in establishing canal networks? Absolutely. Considering by around 1759, England's economy moves inland with a focus on coal, iron ore, to machinery, we get what's called the Industrial Revolution in England. But England does build, start building a canal around 1759 and is completed in 1761. The canal itself um, was, was led by a, a gentleman who had a unique title of nobility called the Duke of Bridgewater. So the, the English are getting a piece of the pie uh, along with the French, and I would say that um, from the 17th to the 18th century, uh, France and England are the two uh, leading European nations who have made significant progress in establishing canals. Before we end tonight, or wherever you all are, some of you in the world, it might be daytime. But it is fair to say that European engineering feats between the 17th and the 18th centuries for building canals did in fact become a giant step to mankind's transportation achievements. However, it's, it really is just the first step. But thousands of miles away to the west, one day, in the near future, something would become very revolutionary to where an elite group of men envisioned a plan where commerce and democracy could flourish in ways never seen before. I'm uh, talking about the, uh, what, we, what would become the Erie Canal. And as I said from the introduction, uh, it took about um, 25 years for surveyors to study the terrain of uh, New York State's geography and how the canal itself could go about being constructed in a manner that would um, safely transport um, commerce from the Hudson River all the way to Lake Ontario and into points um, west being um, Ohio and uh, Michigan and Indiana all the way into uh, Great Lake regions as well. So um, in our next podcast session we're going to be talking a great deal about the Mohawk Valley in New York State. Why is the Mohawk Valley important? Because it turned, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's, it's that particular area of New York State where it was make or break with the canal. Had, had the surveyors or engineers who were present at that time, had they not gotten that area right in terms of um, constructing the canal, the whole canal itself would have been so misaligned or, or so misconstrued to where... Um, it, it would not have been considered a, um, an engineering marvel for its time. Well, if I keep talking more about that, then I'll be giving away further information, and, um, and then some of you would say, what's the point in having a, um, an upcoming podcast on the Mohawk Valley? Well, uh, thank you for letting me uh, share this uh, time with you all, and for those of you who are engineers, um, keep listening. You all might learn something that you didn't know before, but then again, those of you who are engineers, you all have learned a great deal of history about engineering feats, especially the Erie Canal, but you might learn something that you didn't know before. Um, as I said earlier, I'm not an engineer, but, I, but if I had to be an engineer, what type of um, engineering would you have gone into if, you, if I had the smarts to, to, to become one? I would say civil engineering. I've always thought it'd be interesting to design uh, bridges in particular.
Well, um, thank you for letting me uh, be on the air with you guys, and I look forward to um, to discussing the next uh, podcast uh, session. Uh, but then again, I look forward to discussing as many podcast sessions about this topic, the Erie Canal. But I look forward to sharing with you all about the Mohawk Valley and its uh, significance behind uh, structuring the uh, canal and how it got to where it was. Thank you and stay safe.